This seminar, entitled Building Team, was recorded at the 2019 Pioneer Conference in Malaga. The speaker is Hugh Pearce. Great afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. What is, uh, I guess, your lunch slot normally? So I hope you are fueled with snacks. Um, but you do have the siesta coming later, so you can, uh, you can push through. Um, my name's Hugh. Hopefully you're in the building team seminar, which is great. Um, and uh, in a moment, we're going to obviously go through that stuff. I'll share a bit about my story. And then I've broken the softening down into kind of three sections. One is just some key foundational steps that uh, I find helpful when uh, I approach teams or talk about teams and then look at some practical principles and then, if you like, some final comments. Um, questions, very welcome. Anytime, be good to break it up at this time of day. Um, but you could keep them until the end of each section or just interrupt at um, any time. But firstly, I just want you to take a moment. Um, as I said last night, um, one of the questions Jesus often asks is, what do you want me to do? And um, so just think, we've all got a reason for being here, uh, even if it's, you didn't fancy the other three seminars, that's okay. Um, your marriages, if you're married, are obviously great. Uh, you've made a good start. I don't know what the other seminar is. Um, so just take a moment and think, try and distill down what it is you want to get out of this next hour. Um, and I'll pray in a moment, and just in your own way while you wait, and just, you know, whether it's an answer, encouragement, just some stimulation, uh, or whatever it is, I'm probably, obviously not going to be able to address all of them, but um, trust that Jesus will speak to you in some way, shape, or form. So just try and distill it, maybe write it down, or have a think about it, kind of what brought you here, and why this seminar? What do you want to... Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love to speak to your children. And I just, I ask you, Lord, that you would come, uh, most of all, that you would deposit faith in us to trust you, to uh, do the very thing you said you'd do, which is to build your church. But we do pray you would come and give us answers. Uh, give us the tools, uh, whisper promises and speak prophetically as to what's next in our situations. We pray that the fruit of today, Lord Jesus, would be uh, more people equipped to flourish as you've made them in teams so that more and more people come to know and love you. Lord Jesus, we're aware that uh, uh, heaven is real, hell's hot, and time is short, and we can't go very far alone. So help us, Lord. I pray for a deposit of grace to be team builders, whether those teams have labels or not, but they would be multipliers of all that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, so I just, uh, the lens that I'm speaking about building teams through is obviously from where I've come from. So I'll share a little bit about myself. And um, most recently, church planted and have established a leadership team that then became an eldership team. So that's kind of the the primary lens that I'm speaking through, but I'm very aware we're all looking at teams from a different perspective, but hopefully the principles will be the same, even if the emphasis is on different points or different places. So um, I love these settings. These are kind of my favorite pioneering settings. I was born in Zimbabwe, um, in Southern Africa, to an unbelieving family, and um, apart from the grace of God and pioneers who heeded the call of God, I should be a third-generation alcoholic from a broken family. In fact, my wife and my family, everyone around us, there's no marriage together. That's hitting kind of almost double figures. But because people were faithful, 
to what God called him to and left the UK and went to Zimbabwe. I get to revel in the grace of God, have an eternal family, and come to know the church. And um, when I was a teen, I started going along to church for the first time. PJ Smythe, many of you might have heard that name. He started a church in Zimbabwe, and um, I remember as a 16-year-old boy sitting under PJ's preaching, experiencing the church's family, because that was for me, because I didn't have um, kind of a family that was together at that point, a family that was displaying one new man in Christ in a post-black-white liberation war struggle, trying to find its way, but with this huge vision that that's God's picture for the whole earth. And I, I just fell in love with the church. And um, she was everything to me because I had nothing else at that point. Um, and I still get emotional when I think about it, where it came from. So these settings and what you do, whether you ever see the fruit or not, most of the people who have impacted my life were probably people who have no idea what I'm doing now. So um, well done for what you're already doing. And um, just trust that God will do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine through what we are doing. Um, Building teams is obviously a vital thing to do for the now, for the then, and for the there. That's how I like to think about it. So whatever your immediate situation is, you need team. (laughs) Because A, you don't want to go it alone for your own sanity and your own sake. But be for what God's called you to in your settings. And we trust that it will grow or multiply in whatever shape or form. So you need to think about team for then when that happens. uh, And rather not wait until then. Because then uh, you'll be overwhelmed, as it were. And also for there. Trust that God will multiply and bring people into your path that you will, will release deliberately. Or God will release them through job relocations. So I think the lens I was trying to think about team through is three times as many people or teams as for the immediate need. Um, and I think that's fueled from kind of a, a biblical vision. So in terms of outline, as I said, we're going to talk about some starting points, and then we're going to talk about some practical steps, how we've gone about it most recently, and then what I call kind of a philosophy of ministry, or an atmosphere of the feel of how you do it. Um, so the first bit is stuff that you know, but it saves me from approaching building teams from the wrong motives and from the wrong perspectives and becoming driven and making it, even as Steph was saying, all about, all about me. And I end up becoming dismissive of people and getting frustrated with them because it's not happening quick enough. So these are things that I have found really helpful to make sure at the forefront of my heart and mind as I do it. And we're going to have a little reflection after this, but so just ask yourself how much at the forefront of my heart and mind are these things. So the first one is be convinced. Um, that's not like a self-help thing. Uh, be convinced of God's purpose for the church. Uh, I realize I'm speaking to the convinced because you are, you are here. Um, but in the midst of the demand and challenges of getting the job done, which is a very real challenge that we have and planting and building, we lose sight sometimes of the bigger picture um, or we just personally want to relieve ourselves, get the pressure off us so that others can do it. And whilst all of those are kind of valid things, once we remember that Jesus desires and will have a big, beautiful bride, kind of it, uh, it enables you to persevere often um, with people and with situations. Isaiah 9, you know, that nice little Christmas verse of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Hallelujah. He will have a big, beautiful bride. Revelation 19, verse 6 to 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, 
like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So when you're thinking about teams, this is where it's going <laughs> and this is why you need teams. And we know that, but sometimes when we're thinking about team, we don't, we don't remember that at the forefront of it. We're multiplying because where this is going needs many, many laborers. I mean, that's what Jesus said himself. He says, the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> the, it's the, all there. What you need is many, many laborers. Terry Virgo puts it like this. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. She's the, his special delight in all the universe. She is his joy, his preoccupation, his passion, his darling bride. In all creation, one thing fills the heart of Christ, his beloved church. We need to rediscover the incredible value and significance of the local church in God's plan and perspective. She is not to be ignored and despised. She is to be honored and cherished. Each lampstand is not plastic but golden of peerless worth to Christ. So I think first to be convinced of God's purpose for your church. That happened to me when I was 16. I thought God put in my heart. Um, I'm, at age of 19, I moved to the UK, got involved with a, a New Frontiers church in Canterbury called the City Church, where I was an elder there for seven years before I moved down the road to Whitstable. Anyone know Whitstable? A little seaside town. Um, my wife and I moved to Plant Pioneer, our first multi-site that was part of our church. Three years later, in 2015, we moved to Colchester in Essex. Less people have heard of Colchester. Anyone been to Colchester? Yeah, if you don't know, it's Stansted. Who knows where Stansted is? You'll know where Colchester is. Uh, Morris referred to it last night. He always does, where the temple, where the foundations are dedicated to the Emperor Claudius. Um, so we moved there in 2015, just my wife and I, into our living room. We were joined um, a month later by a young couple from our sending church, and kind of have, have, have planted from there. And just earlier this year, we were able to establish an, an eldership team and um, have really enjoyed the journey. Um, but I think whatever phase you're in, being captured with the eternal destiny of the church is what keeps your vision large, even in the day of small things. Um, and we know to Jesus, everyone's of peerless worth, no matter your size or context. I realize some of you might not be involved in churches per se, but whatever the context is, working out Christ's ministry. Be convinced of God's purpose for the church. Secondly, which is related, be convinced of God's sovereign commitment, which leads to everything else that we do. The reason we do it is because we know God's for it. Hallelujah. Amen. And he's committed that, I, that Isaiah 9 verse, we love of the increase. That's the wonderful thing. I love the last bit. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I mean, think about the most enthusiastic person that you can. Andy Moyle. Or someone else, um, if you know Andy Moyle. Um, the zeal of the mighty God of the armies will accomplish this. So when you, <laughs> as you will do, when you hit another roadblock or a bump or something on the line, not only is God desiring this and it's his purpose, he is actively and deliberately with all his zeal invested in it. Matthew 16, he will build his church. church. So if your endeavors are for God and good... He will build his church, um, and he will work all things out together for good, um, even your mistakes. Hallelujah. And there's lots along the way. Um, Terry says this, many people are negative about the church, including some within it, but the church of Jesus Christ is the apple of God's eye and is absolutely key to God's plans for the future of the world. 
there is a desperate need to recover biblical Christianity and reproduce it through vibrant churches scattered all around the world. My appeal, he says, therefore, is that rather than give up on the church and anticipate her demise, we give our best energies to her success, knowing that Christ is determined to have a glorious bride worthy of his own majesty and might. So if you've got team building fatigue, <laughs> which we get, uh, if you've hit another frustrating or another letdown, he will have his bride. And we can be convinced of that, which helps us to keep going. The third thing I try to really bear in mind is to be convinced of my role, what it is and what it's not. Ephesians 4, I know this is kind of apostolic ministry, but it's true of all of us. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Our job is to stir one another up to love and good works. To, so when you are building team, you are not trying to create people who have certain gifts. That's not our role, because that's, uh, we're not trying to form people into a certain mold of anything. We are simply trying to see what's in them, and our role is to equip them, which is entirely releasing if things don't work, because we're not trying to force people to be something whom God has not made them to be. I so easily get driven trying to be like, you should be like this, and you should do that. And generally I get frustrated because I'm trying to do the wrong thing, rather than I'm trying to say, okay, God, what have you put in this person, and how can I bring it about? Um, and that takes the pressure off. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brings the growth. And I, I think, you know, you can plant and water all you like, and uh, you can't make the growth. <laughs> um, and sometimes we uh, beat ourselves up in the wrong way for not having done that. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't try, we don't sharpen our tools, we don't grow and learn. But at the end of the day, the way we carry team building is very different. It stops you from driven, it drops your shoulders. Because <sighs> I can get in the zone, you know, we've got to get the job done and get this. Thing. Actually, my role is to spot what God's put in people and to bring it out and flourish. That's how you build a biblical team. God, what have you put? Let's put this together rather than creating the person or the thing. So those are the three kind of things that I find really helpful to bear in the forefront of my mind. Secondly, be confident. These are very related, but I, this keeps the culture of team building healthy. Be confident in His sufficient grace. So some of you from outside eyes will be amazing team builders. I have a friend, people spend five minutes with him, they think he's the best friend in the whole world, and they will, they will literally do anything for him, move across continents. But just there's a grace on him to win people like, I'm not like that. Um, I take a lot more time. I take a, a lot more kind of touches relationally with someone to kind of be of one heart with them. But I do trust that God's grace is sufficient for that which he has called me to. Um, and so whether you're some charismatic leader or you've never built a team, trusting that there's others affirming what you're doing and that God's called you to it, his grace is sufficient for you to build a team in whatever way, shape, or form, where God has put you. I mean, there's various verses on the screen. I won't refer to them all, but our, our, compet our competence comes from God's. I love Craig Groeschel. He puts it like this. He says, be yourself. People would rather follow a leader who's real than a leader who's right. And I, I've spent many, many years exhaustingly trying to lead and make teams with Saul's armor on, trying to do it the way that others who are successful have done it. It's utterly exhausting. And when you actually see the fruit of that, you have a bunch of people who are trying to be something they not because you've modeled that. Um, and I think, okay, this is who I am, God. So church planting was relieving. 
When I was part of uh, the City Church, um, we were a young, zealous leadership team. We just absolutely went for it. And only when I went to church bond, and kind of it was just me and us, I realized that's not how I am built to do things. And I've been fitted into a mold that I thought was the way you did it. And I realized it was exhausting. So when a church planted, I had to resolve, like, because church planting is a bit of a, people come because God calls them, but they also check you out. Mm-hmm. You know, because they also, am I being joined to you? And you've just got to deal with that situation where some people won't like us, and they won't be drawn to us, and some people will. And I think part of being confident in His sufficient grace is that those whom God would have with you and the team that you'll gather around you, you have, by his grace, the tools that you need to do that, regardless of how you might compare to others. Be confident, secondly, in what you are calling people to. Again, all of this is releasing. So you're like, I need to build a team. You're calling people to a big, biblically compelling vision. Hallelujah. People come along to church plants and they ask you this question, what's your vision? <laughs> I've got vision fatigue. Because each year it needs to be expressed more grandly and more beautifully and bigger numbers. But none of those ever come close to a wonderfully simple, biblically compelling picture. And I find myself saying to people, there's nothing wrong with vision. That's good. Some people are able to articulate it. It brings focus and attention. I love vision. But ultimately, when people ask, what's your vision for your church? I'm like, I want to see a growing, vibrant, spirit-filled, word-based one new man in Christ, growing community. <laughs> and I think I haven't, I'm yet to hear any vision articulated that's more stirring than that. And I think that is what wins people's hearts to it. Um, so I think when you're calling people to a team, now obviously you might not call people a church plan, and what you're calling them to is labor as part of the bride of Christ. You don't have to try and be too clever and creative in trying to how you win people, because then you win people to something that you then have to sustain all the time. Um, a A biblical picture of the bride of Christ is the best way to win people to your team. And then thirdly, be confident to begin with what you have, which is the fruit of all that we've said already. And actually, beginning with what you have is the means of getting more. Luke 16 principle, faithful with the little, faithful with the natural and other man's, and God will add more to you. So that's just a very brief, quick thing. Is, uh, what's the posture of our hearts as we approach team building? And literally, we're just going to take a few minutes. There's some reflection questions on the screen. Just take a few minutes to ask yourself, okay, where am I thinking, even walking in today, what's driving me to come into here and then to go out of here? And then we'll talk more practically about some specific principles. So just take a few minutes to... Read through these questions, maybe write down okay, where you go. So the first one's encouragement. Okay, I, th- I think I've got my perspective generally healthy when I'm approaching this. Um, or there's some things in my heart which I need to keep recalibrating. I'm happy to send the PowerPoint if they were helpful afterwards. Um, so just take two or three minutes. You might want to talk to someone near you if you've come with them or just a bit of personal reflection. And then we'll do questions and then move on.
take one more minute. Sorry. Okay, happy to go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually the approach, at least in my life, to building teams is an outflow of generally how I, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's it's a whistle-stop tour of I think kind of a heart calibration as you look to teams. Any questions on that? Yeah. Yeah. So having a team who help you keep that is great. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how people live without a vibrant sense of God's sovereignness in the world, generally now, without being crushed, let alone when you're trying to plant a church <laughs> and you have all sorts of expectations internally and externally, um, let alone teams. Um. Okay, I have a picture for you and I want you to bear this in mind as we think about the next practical things. Oh, there you go, that's just what we've had a look at. Can I have the ducks? The ducks, there you go. Sweet little duckies. Um, uh, I kind of, this is an image of a philosophy of ministry, a way of doing things that we've kind of adopted in church over the time. When you look at a duck, um, on the top, a duck is never stressed, is it? <laughs> Even when it's swimming upstream, okay? When a duck is swimming upstream, you don't give much thought to what's actually making it move. You just see this beautiful, serene, naturally swimming or whatever, floating. What do you call it? gliding, gliding duck. But underneath the water, obviously, the legs are working hard. Um, and so when you come to, when you come to talk to principles of building a team, the, the secret, I think, is to make sure that everyone experiences the above-surface duck. Um, and like, but underneath, you are being highly intentional, and you're being very deliberate with the teams. But if you ask someone at the end of the process, what, what was it like, I think is a big win when someone says, yeah, we, we, it just kind of happened. Um, and there were a few hallmarks on the way. Rather than someone say, well, I did step one, step two, and step three of this leadership, this building team thing. That's all fine. What I'm trying to get at is the atmosphere of it is much more kind of less about the structure and these principles. So a lot of these things are highly intentional, but done in a really relaxed way. And we'll see that as to kind of the process of building. So keep the duck in mind as we go through this, and I'll keep coming to it. Um, so I'm going to talk through five steps that kind of I'll, I'll summarize how we've raised teams uh, recently. 
and unpack them and ask questions on each one. I think that will probably be helpful. So I think the first thing when you come to building teams is to relate, or it's all about relating. Um, For some reason, (laughs) I might be the only one, we understand that the church is a family, but in the different little aspects of church, we don't put as much emphasis on that as we do on the whole church. Um, So I, I think the most kind of, I don't know if this is technically correct, the most common biblical metaphor for the church is family. Um, when you add in all the references to the household of God, obviously the Trinity, obviously when Jesus taught us to pray, it was to our Father. God's people are meant to be a family. And if the church is to be a real family, that culture and atmosphere needs to be in everything. And I, when I reflect back on my life, I think I, I got that on the church. But when it came to building teams, it was all about function. And somehow I didn't bring in that atmosphere and that culture. Um, I think when you're building team, you're trying to look at people's character. And you don't actually know someone's character until you're in relationship with them. Um, And you need to look under the bonnet of people's lives. And so keeping at the forefront and being intentional, the duck, and making sure that relationship is a massive part of building teams must not be missed. Um, If you want your teams to be fruitful, not fatal, you need relationship, because relationship is what will help you feed back and challenge and bring correction in a team without the whole thing blowing up. I think Proverbs speaks about that, isn't it? There's something about the the wounds of a a friend are not quite right or sweeter than the... What's that? What's the problem? Yeah, something like that. Basically, your friendship gives you permission and access in a winsome way to feed back to people. And you're going to have to do that when you're building teams. So if you miss out being deliberate about relationship and you're just deliberate about the training and equipping and skills, you're missing a great foundation stone in a a starting place. And obviously, as leaders, we've got to start from leading by example. And you will want a diverse team. You don't want a team who are like you. And if you go for a diverse team of gifts or characters, you're going to have to work harder at understanding and loving each other, or you're not. Um, So we have a a team of four. I'm the talker, and I'm interested in everything. There's another guy who's in the marketplace, and he, uh, the way he's emotionally wired, he wants to be engaged in everything, even though he doesn't have the capacity to keep up with it. Uh, we have another guy who's just interested in like two things and wants to throw himself at that, but is aware of his role. And then we've got a listener in our team. I get entirely frustrated with two of them because don't get on with things fast enough. Um, and they get frustrated with me because I just say, let's do this, and they've not had time to process it. We would clash all the time in ways that would be unhelpful and undermined if we didn't have a relationship first, where we trusted each other and were able to speak into each other's life. The intensity of the relationship will depend on the team that you're building and that, but it must be there. Get in each other's homes, no matter what level of team building you're doing. You see stuff in people's lives and homes. Get around food. Pray with each other. These all things. I, I, if The context might determine how much you do this, but I think, first thing you think, teams, how can I build relationship with these people? The other thing is you've got to see how people relate together. Now, the reason I talk about the duck is because this isn't a structured thing and this will happen very early in the process before you recruit people to a team. And a great thing of relationship is you also put people together who you're thinking of being in your team and seeing how they relate and how they build relationships. In our 
In our church planning team, we had a really significant moment after the Brexit vote. You hoped you'd escaped comment on that. <laughs> we were in a room. We just voted. The result had come off out. Most people had voted, um, which had voted against it in the room. Uh, and we're talking very liberally. People who were going to, I was thinking, we could make a team here, a leadership team. And they were speaking very liberally and unwisely with their words. And there were two or three other people in the room who had voted the other way. And uh, clearly they were getting hurt. Um, and it was one of those situations you could just ignore and, and hope, it, hope it went away. Um, and I was thinking, how do we build relationship and team? If we're going to be in team, this has got to be. So we stopped it. And I just said, would you guys like to share how you felt about that? This awkward silence. It was one of those nights that could have blown up entirely. But they shared. Everyone else saw the foolishness of their casual words. There was repentance. It was quite a significant and crying. But well, this was before we had a team. And you said, okay, there's going to be, we've got to learn how to relate here. And it was in the atmosphere of a relationship and culture. That enables conflicts to have their right place as you go further. So I don't think you can emphasize this one enough and be intentional about it. Get different people together that you're thinking of being in a team and build that side together. So number one, relating. Two, releasing. So these are, these are not kind of necessarily just structured phases. This should be going on all the time. At this stage, people might not even know that you're considering them to be in a team. Um, different people are helped by being open and clear about your expectations from the beginning. Others need a little bit more time later. So releasing really is about creating context for gifts to emerge. I've created some very random roles to allow people's gifts to, you know, when I was a small group leader, I had a rotor for everything, a tea rotor, a lifts rotor, a, a milk rotor, whatever. And basically, it's giving people responsibility in little things and seeing what emerges. Some people literally would just bring it. Other people would go further, and, they would, and you could see a different heart in it. Some people were very structured in it, and you could see administration come out. Other people were like, hey, what kind of drinks would everyone like? And leading up to it, create context for gifts to emerge. And you've got enough context to see that happening. But you think, OK, we wanna, I want to see who's got these gifts. What context can I create or bring them into that brings out their gifts? So draw people in from day one. I think one of the dangers is, <laughs> and I've fallen into this, when you're planning a church or leading a team, is you end up doing it all until you are 100% sure that it's safe to let other people go. But inadvertently, you're undermining their authority for the next two or three years because you're creating this man of power or woman of power or anointing thing. So when you eventually release them, everyone's still looking to you. And they're undermined already. I don't think you can... Too early, it's not too early to start bringing people along and involving them. Obviously, there's wisdom. I realize that. We're talking about principles and you don't give people too much space. But from the early days, do everything in team, even if people don't realize that, and release people to lead, pray. Maybe it's a, a two-minute offering talk on a Sunday. Maybe you ask them to close the prayer meeting. Maybe you ask them to come with a pastoral meetup under the guise of giving you a lift, but I'm prone to just get on with it. But that means everyone then ends up looking to me because I've always been the one who's always done everything. And then even when someone else is in the room taking the lead, everyone's still looking at me because for a long period of time it's just been 
me. So I think you need to release people very early, not to a title. <laughs> I think that's the other danger. You release people to a title and a, an official role too early. Just release people, giving them opportunities. Um, and this takes the pressure off because there's no title, no expectation. And then you go on a journey with it. So the f- often I do, if I'm at a prayer meeting, let's say enough, and I'm asked to lead a section of the prayer meeting, without any warning, you just throw some people in saying, can you pray, can you pray, can you pray? And you start to see people emerge. Or can you do this? Some people, the thought of, if you give them the expectation that you're going to do this, they get themselves all wound up. And they end up doing it in a way that's just not them. And you think, oh, that's really not you. Some people... You just release them in the moment. Give them something to do and see how that, because the pressure's off. There's no expectation. They haven't had time to think, how will he want it done? Should I be like him? Should I be like her? We all go through that. So I'm doing this seminar, you know, and my example's PJ Smythe. You're like, oh, great, you know. You can talk about leading teams. He's this amazingly gifted platform guy. How will he do it? He wouldn't have five points. He'd have 25 points, and they would all be whatever. We've all got to go sometimes just throw people in. And see, but you're being deliberate. They think he's just asked me to pray or she's just asked me to do the communion. Find context to release people. This is subtle and it's private. Um, don't give positions too early, I don't think. Um, but don't release too late. Otherwise you end up so overwhelmed. You give, posi- you give a person a title because you have to to get the job done. But you've not released them and it can all go wrong and you suddenly have to pull the reins back. Does that make sense? And you end up delegating task and responsibility but not authority. So if you, if you wait too long and you haven't been able to measure a person because you're not, you haven't given the opportunity, you delegate task and responsibility but you don't actually give them authority because you're not sure if they're up to it yet. You can delegate task and responsibility without titles. Can you do this? Can you do that? And then, when you give a title or a role, you can give them authority because you've done all the testing through the releasing stage. And I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made and we do in churches. We give people responsibility but not authority. So they always have to keep coming back to us. Back to us. Can I? Can I? And instead of actually releasing and multiplying, we're just adding another step in the chain because it comes back to you and you've got to tell them what to do and they do it. So you've just added actually more work Release people. Don't worry about the titles too soon. I mean, titles help some people. Some people need that recognition because of something in their past and their history. So I'm, I'm a little bit like that. Historically, I grew up in Zimbabwe. Respect for anyone older than me. My boarding school was military style. The culture's like that. I, I find it very difficult to do anything in a context where there's people older than me until I've been given clear permission. Now, I've had to grow. And thankfully, other people have seen that and understand. But some people, the title does help, or a a role does bring release. But how you do that needs to be done wisely. So involve people early, but give titles later, I would would think, and roles later. And make sure when you delegate a role or a title, you give authority. Go. (laughs) We trust you. Go, you know. And a true son or daughter will come back and ask and be accountable and desire that, but not in a way that they can't do anything until they check with you. And you're happy for them to do it because you've done the releasing, you've seen them in action already. Relating, releasing. Any questions on that one? We'll just keep going through. Feel free to, feel free to interrupt at any, at any point. 
And then thirdly, recognising. Turn to the person next to you say recognising. It's quite warm in here, isn't it? So I'll get you to do, get you to do more of that. Um, this, I find this the most exciting part. This is where you've created context and you're, really, and you, and you're watching to see what God's put in people and how it can come to flourish. And um, some people, <laughs> I think lesser these days, and then maybe depending on your context, you have to kind of hold them back a little bit. Most people, you're like, come on. Trust what God's put in you. Most people need the urging forward. Uh, you'll get a few young bucks who need the calming down side. But this is an exciting point. Whereas a, no matter how old you are, you've got to think like a mother or father. Uh, whether you've had children or not, you think, how can I raise these people? Whenever you get stuck in anything to do with church, ask yourself, what would a mother or father do? And I think you'll find the answer. What would a mother... Because we long for our children to flourish, don't we? We long for them to, to see what their character's like. And we work out their love language. We work out how best they work out. And you've seen this in family. It's the same with recognizing people in the church. See what God has put in them. Nurture their talents and their gifts. And I think bring outside eyes in. So, you know, you've related, you've built relationship, you create context, you've been releasing people, and now you want to recognize stuff. And as Steph was saying in the final session, we all spot things certainly quickly. They've got a leadership gift. But we've, we don't see the, the pastoral or the administrative or the prophetic because, you know, the, we just see that. Or you just see the prophetic gift or, or whatever it might be. When you bring others in, just say, hey, come, come and have dinner with us. Uh, sit around and at the end of just say, well, what, do you, what do you think? What do you see in these guys? What, how, how do you think God has formed and shaped them? It avoids you recognizing those in your mold um, and therefore building a team that's just multiplying yourself, um, which could be good in some ways, <laughs> but will have its, have its thing. And, and different people have faith for different people. You know, two people can walk into, you sit sometimes with leaders and you think, what do you think about that person? And they rave about them, and you're thinking, I did not see that. I was not thinking about them at all. And have you met, you know, have you met Frank? There's no one called Frank here, have you? And then they, they, they express concern and reticence. You think, I thought this guy was like, you know, or this lady was just, she was the right mold. Bring other eyes in early on to it, to ask people. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, not quite the same thing, but... Paul didn't really have faith for Mark in that season, and Barnabas did, and the guy flourished, and he became of great help to Paul. And, and, and sometimes that means a move to work with someone else, but often it's you saying, actually, this is not about what I want. It's about recognizing what God's put in someone and bringing it out. Um, ask God for discernment. And the most helpful thing I've, the phrase that I find really helpful is just follow the fruit. It's not, it's not too complicated. Watch the fruit of someone's life and hear what people say of them. So if someone keeps saying to you, Sally's just amazing when she prays for people. They just, when she prays for me, she knows exactly what to pray for each time. Or, or, or Bob. I'm trying to use very generic names. Apologies if they're not relevant to your culture. Um, um, <laughs> I won't even try. Um, when, when he speaks, he just seems to bring truth that cuts through all the stuff. And you listen, you know, that's part of how you recognize. It's not all down to you. What are the body? What's the church recognizing in the person? 
And we, it's just like paying attention, isn't it? You just, uh, your kids go to school, your teachers keep commending them about that, and you think, I've never seen that in them. You start to look with different eyes. And you think, okay, oh, they are, they are good at that. Part of recognizing is to kind of um, be aware of what others are saying. Praying with people. It's often the best way to recognize someone's heart and what they're truly passionate about. You pray with people, you think, man, you just cannot stop praying about that. But we've put you over here, and, and we're trying to get you to do this in the team. Hey, something else is here. Or oh, I have no idea what you care about. Pray with someone. You very quickly learn to hear what they care about. Um, the Luke 16 principle is absolutely vital here. Faithful with the little. So give people responsibilities and see what they do with it. That's uh, you know, and, um, and sometimes you know, it will be in fledgling form. But see those who are faithful. And okay, let's have more. You, you've, you've got a grace on you for that. Create ownership, I think, by involving many and seeing who takes ownership. There's a difference between someone who gets the job done and someone who takes responsibility for it. Uh, an example for us would be we have what we call an integration team. So when someone fills out a card on a Sunday, we call them, say, how are you doing? How did you find Sunday? How can we serve you? You asked about life groups or... Um, some people just get the job done. Other people send you a message and they say, I spoke to, um, I'm not think, trying to think of a better name. <laughs> I spoke to Daniel um, and he said these things. He's a really warm chap. I, I really feel what he would need would be to connect with others. You think there's a bit more ownership there than pressing the button saying I've done the phone call. You think, oh, there's, there's something different about you. And that's all part of recognizing what's on people's heart. Again, 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 remember the... Duck. <laughs> Can you say duck? Duck. Duck. A lot of people, they're the other way around. There's no meaning in that. Sorry. Does that mess with you? <laughs> I recognize something in you. <laughs> there you go. You're paying attention. You pay attention to detail. There you go. Um, but you worry about small things. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so even up until now, people might have no idea what you're doing. I mean, generally, they should know you're looking out for them and trying to bring out what's best in them. But they might not even at this point think, this person's trying to recruit me or put me in a team or build a team with me. They might. You might have been up front with them, depending on their faith. Uh, but you're being highly intentional all the time. But the culture or the atmosphere is one of just gliding, apparently. Um, Number four, then recruiting. Can you say recruiting? recruiting. Yeah, you're doing what? It's very warm in here, isn't it? Um, so this is where you start, I think, to put... Um, now, some of this can come before I, I realise the order is not... Don't worry about that. This is where you start to put shape and specifics and you start to call people to things in this. Um, so obviously Jesus was quite clear at points with the disciples, didn't he? It seems that other times he just took them along and said, go and do that, go and do that. Other times he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And he called them to be with him, and he gave them specific instructions. There comes a point, obviously, where you have to bring clarity and direction and shape to it when you are building a team so that you can test the grace of some. Some people change totally when you give them a role or a title or put them in a team. And sometimes that's not for the good. Sometimes it is. it releases them into it. Um, I think we've had a mixture of that with our team. Some folks had been in church plant situations that had gone bad and not worked out and they were bruised. 
the moment there was clarity and security in the team they were in, they flourished. Because they were just, uh, I find 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 really helpful on this. Do we have that? So this is, um, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 is talking about how you speak into people's lives. It says, we exhort you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak and be patient with everyone. I find that such a helpful lens to think about how you engage with someone. Some people are idle or some people are just being lazy and they just need a good come on to them. Other people are, are weak. And for whatever reason, pain, hurt, insecurity, they've never had motherly or fatherly affirmation. And it's a different approach with those folks. We've got to help them. Others are just discouraged. God's spoken stuff into their lives that hasn't happened. What's going on? It's not as fruitful as I thought. And they need to be comforted. And you just need to be patient with everyone. <laughs> it's kind of like the junk drawer term. And I, I, I use the principles. You know, you think, okay, when you recruit people, some people just want to be told, hey, come and join us. We're going to change the world. And they respond like that. Other people, it takes a lot of time saying, hey, God's grace is on you. We can do this. But if you start with that, they're just going to wither away because the pressure's too much and because they're faint-hearted or weak. They, hey, come on, come on, brother, come on, sister, let's go. Um, so there comes a point where you start to put shape on it, and this is all still part of the testing of the call on people. I don't think you can go forever without saying and bringing clarity. Most people thrive on clarity. If you've built relationship, you've created context, and you've recognized something on it, you can say to people, look at the fruit. Would you join us in doing this, or would you be part of the team? Um, within kind of building a leadership team, this helps bring sobriety to kind of the idea of eldership or any form of leadership team. Think, okay, you are now responsible, and others know it um, as well. I think it's still good to create a culture in any team of investigation, even when someone's in a team. Um, so we, we often use the phrase, we're going to give this a go for a season. So you get, we say, listen, we are a leadership team, so i.e. there's clarity, or we're a whatever team it is, we're going to give this a go for a season and review it in 12 months. And the more you do that, it releases a, a culture in the church where people are willing to give things a go, and if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. Because you can create a culture where if it doesn't work out, moving someone into a different team or changing their role is just the worst thing that could ever happen. Um, and always paying attention to that culture, I think, is hugely helpful. This, I think this is public because it also then draws in the church, whatever context, whether that's a leadership team or a kids' team or whatever, the church become aware that this person's in that role. And as, as you get more and more mature men and women in the church, they'll speak into you, just say, it's great to have Roger as part of the team. And that's affirming. Well, sometimes people bring a sense of concern. So I was part of a a church before where we did a lot of this privately and we were raising up a guy to be an elder. Uh, God's grace was on him and we spoke to a few people in the church but we did 90% of this and then we said to the church, hey, we're putting forward this person as an elder. And a lot of the church didn't have a, had, hadn't had a chance to see this person in the role or us be public about it and they expressed a lot of concern. When you boiled it down, the concern was not that the person wasn't qualified. The church just hadn't seen the fruits of that. And so we, he, he did amazingly well. We put pause on it. 
We said we're not going to, so a couple of others were made elders in the church, and he wasn't, which obviously is really, really hard. Um, but 12 months later, became an elder, and now is flourishing, leading the whole church just a few years later. Um, involving the church, being aware of that, whatever team it is, there'll be sections of the church who will feed back to you, hopefully, if you've got that culture. Um, and I think persevere if you turn down when you recruit someone, okay? Some people will say no. It's intensely frustrating. Uh, um, and even though you appeal to them, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul was uh, kind of disappointed by Apollos. It says, he asked Apollos to do something. He says, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him. I would say yes if Paul strongly urged me. Would you? It's like, surely he's such a godly guy. It must be the right man for the job. No, he was quite unwilling to go now. Interesting little word. Um, but he will go when he has the opportunity. I don't think, Ty, I don't think Apollos said that. Um, I think it was Paul speaking in faith. Some people will say no. Okay, so when we were asked to go to Colchester, we said no. Uh, we just couldn't see it. It was out of the blue. We loved our church. The church was a bit bruised. Twelve months later, God had gone to work in ways that other people had seen, and we said yes, and we left someone we love and went to Colchester. So I think just because someone says no the first time, if you've seen something, if you've gone through all of this and you have faith for them, urge them strongly. Um, and there might be valid reasons, but for some people their conscience just needs to get educated. No, you don't have to be eloquent and a preacher to be an elder. You just need to be a father and in good character. Or, hey, to be on the kids' team, you don't have to be able to dance and sing and jump. If you just build relationship quietly and disciple child after child, you'll be great. Somebody just need to understand because people have perspectives of what it means to be part of a team that are not necessarily helpful. In Numbers chapter 10, there's a guy called Hobab. What a great name. And Moses says, Hobab, come with us. I think, was he his father-in-law? Um, Numbers, where is it? Numbers 10. And uh, come with us, you know the land. And Hobab says no. And I think Moses urges him, no, we need you. We really need you. So I, I think that sometimes we like, people said no, and we give up too easily. Um, sometimes give them space, other times strongly urge them. Final R, and then we'll have some Q&A, break it up quickly. The whole process is raising. Can you say raising? raising. Okay, this is kind of a summary of the whole thing, but... It, once you've built relationship, once you've released them, once you've um, recruited them, you really get deliberate about raising them. So for us, this was we started to meet as a leadership team and we developed as a team. So we read material, we prayed together, we looked at the qualifications, we looked at the expectations. There comes a point and you, you circle through the whole thing. You keep relating, you keep releasing, you keep recruiting, but there comes a point where... You've got to be very deliberate in raising your children or raising your team, equipping, getting together as a team when it has shape, training, being clear about expectations. So we find those R's really helpful. It's really um, relating at the front is important for me because I just like to get the job done. You know, when I've met someone for five minutes, we're the best friends in the world. Let's get on with the job. Um, that's how I, just how I am. But I need to invest more time in that. Um, and releasing, what are the other R's? Recruiting and raising. Um, any questions on those? I know there's a, <laughs> there's a lot in there. I think I've, what's the next, what's the next one? So you just take a couple of minutes, then we'll do questions. So what are your strengths and weaknesses? What do you do naturally? What do you have to work harder at? 
Some of you, that won't be difficult. Others will be, some of you are like, I just love eating food with people and getting to know them. Others are like, oh, just want to get on with the, you know, training. So just have a think in your context where when it comes to team, what are, what are, what are, what are your strengths, what are your natural instincts? Um, and ask someone next to you if they know you, what do you think? <laughs> Um, and then we'll come think about some questions, and then we'll come to land. What do you do when you have this team? Yeah. And uh, in the beginning, it, it looks great. Yeah. And you have a interest in that team that is slowly drifting away. Yeah. Okay. So the question is, um, what do you have if a team, it's looking great, but there's a key person who keeps drifting away? Good question. Um, so I think if you've got the relationship, I think you have permission and the ability to address it head on. The thing head on directly. Um, when you've got relationship and you actually know someone, the way that you can encourage them to love and good works and speak to them that is far more precise and effective because you know how they operate. You know how the way you say it will have that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it comes down to relationship that has an open discussion about it. I think that would be, um, I guess it would depend what the drifting away is. Um, so yeah, I, think, you, you, I think it has to be out in the open once you've got a team. You know, other, otherwise everyone is compromising for that one person. Um, and I think that's where big vision helps. This is about the church, not about us, not about you, not primarily even about your role. Um, so I think having, having that frank conversations, I mean... We're pursuing the conversation, but priorities are... Different. Different. Yeah. Or became different. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you're not that successful getting catching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes things come to an end, you know. I think when you, the context of relationship leads to open discussions, and even if those discussions don't reach a unanimous point of view, um, and sometimes it's difficult to relate when someone is drawn there, um, yeah, teams that don't all work, you know. We, we started from day one with our eldership team talking about how our roles will change in two years' time when the church is bigger and maybe we've maximized our growth. Is it smart to give him a break? It could be. Um, I don't know why I'm eating the street while I'm talking. <laughs> I apologize. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I think that can help. Again, knowing the person, I think the, the principles would be, is the team healthy with the person there? If not, how do we care for the person? How do we